Hi, and welcome to Podcaster Stories. Each show, we'll have a conversation with podcasters across all mediums and share their story, what motivates them, why they started a show, how they grew the show, and more. We'll also talk about their personal lives and some of the things that have happened that have made them the person they are today. And now, here's your host, Danny Brown. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Podcaster Stories, where we talk to the people behind the voices of the shows that we listen to. This week, I've got a friend of mine from Boston, Massachusetts, who's uh, one of the the main communication guys at uh, Kaspersky. Did I say that right? I never get that word right. Kaspersky Labs? It's it's Kaspersky now. We rebranded and it's a Russian name, so it's hard to say. It's special for a scop. <laughs> I can't speak yeah. anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've got Jeff Esposito on from, as you mentioned, Kaspersky. I'm going to let Jeff mention it, but I'm just going to stop right there. Um, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about the show, you know, where it came from, the ideas behind it, et cetera. And we'll go from there. So, Jeff, uh, over to you. Hey, so thanks for having me, Danny. Like you said, I'm, you know, I'm the global head of regional social media at Kaspersky, and I am one of the two hosts surrounding our podcast called the Transatlantic Cable Podcast. Um, where we talk about security and ways that both consumers and businesses could look to up their security game. So the podcast then is directed at both uh, consumer and business. And it's not just like, although it's a corporate uh, podcast, it's not just for businesses and you're trying to educate consumers. Yeah. So when we started it out, like we know that security is not always the sexiest news topic. Yeah. Everybody, everybody gets excited when you hear about like the shadow brokers leaks or, you know, WikiLeaks with, things or even Edward Snowden. But when you look at the end of the day, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens on a weekly basis. And when we started it, it was more on educating people in, you know, 20 minutes or less was the original goal. Give five security stories with people need to care about. Um, You know, we tend to keep it where it's that weird mix of business and consumers. But we also veer a lot towards the, you know, the podcast has evolved over time. So we're looking at doing a spinoff now with um, team members of mine from Dubai, and um, Istanbul to take on the more B2C version. And my myself and my partner, Dave Buxton, who's over in the UK, are going to talk about more towards things that are small to enterprise level businesses, which focusing on bigger types of stories versus the general, hey, Facebook got breached, Facebook had a data breach, here's what you need to know. Or hey, TikTok's owned by China, this is what you need to know type of thing. Okay, so it's going more niche then for the, the existing podcast and then offering a consumer only version. Yeah, it's it's one we it's one we've worked on because it's as you said before, it's very hard to juggle, you know, something that's security related for an enterprise level customer down to somebody who's, you know, just a person like me or you that are looking for security to keep our internet browsing safe. So I think when we we look at it, there was a, a clear need to delineate things. And also but the end of the day, we still have a lot of fun with it. You know, you know me, I can't not have fun in something I do. It's not <laughs> yeah. gonna be boring. Um, so we, we make, we make our fair share of things and I know the people listening can't see it, but I have my little pink dinosaur here. This is, this is my, um, curse button. So when I'm, go- whatever I'm going to curse, I squeeze it because the editing has become too hard to, cur- to cut out when I curse. <laughs> um, so, so we try to keep it that way and, and it kind of brings some humor to it because pinky is, is quite sexy. So I'm, I'm guessing that's been pressed quite a few times then knowing yourself. Yeah, um, we had one episode where I squeezed it for two minutes straight, and then I st- then I still messed up and said a curse word or five <laughs> that had to be cut out because it was it was just one of those things that you know we talked about a story that was you know it was related to child predators online and what they were doing. So it was a story about 
how there was a um, a forum that was trading access to get involved with, um, for lack of a better word, kitty porn. So it, it's I'm not sure any parent can talk about that without having negative feelings about it. No, for sure. I know when we um, when I still did the the Market on Tap podcast with uh, Sam Fiorella, one of the areas we spoke about one week was the dark web, um, and that was a topic again. To your point, you know, as a parent, you 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 do get triggered, you know, to use that overused word, and, and that's natural. So I can imagine, you know, some of but the things. A, that... But it's a fair point, and and the dark web's a nasty place. And I'm sure like, you must, and this is like uh, something I wanted to ask actually, because of the the topic of the podcast itself. Is there any sort of challenges um, on how far you can go on the topics you discuss and what you can, knowing what you know personally, you know, from a security point of view, is there something that you can't say because you don't want to scare people, for example? Well, I think there's a very fine line. Like, you can go full on FUD and make somebody really scared. And that's easy to do, but that's not fun. And I think when we look at stories, Danny, we really take a, a delicate view of it of, Hey, is this, so we actually have a decent news filter. Like we don't go by the fake news. So something, is it reported on a credible site? If we're looking at something like with a data breach, how credible is the source? Is this legal? Something that somebody's going to? And then also we have to put on the corporate hat of, is this in line with our company's messaging? While we will bring up the threats about it, we'll also tell you how to keep yourself safe. So, you know, for example, this story we talked about, about the dark web and stuff happening with kids, we spun it into a whole area of, how do you talk to your kids about what they're sharing online? Right. And it's it's one of the, the few times that I'll actually agree with a lot of the things that is done by both a Google and a Facebook on having age limits for accounts, because there are certain things that kids shouldn't be doing on the web. But also, you know, it makes you rethink about, you know, some of the things we thought about when both of us were coming up in the social media industry as it opened. I think if I could go back to 2006, 2007, Jeff, you know, hell, some of the things that I did now did then are are fully questionable now when you look at how we're looking at, you know, privacy and things like that. So, you know, I also hold myself to to my own part of guilt on certain things that are done in the past or sins of the father. But now you look at, you know, what's out there. You don't want to scare people. You want to just be able to give them real topics because look, if you tell any parent, hey, look, there's probably naked pictures of your kid out in the web. You know, the first thing a parent's going to want to do is grab one of the phones and be like, no, no, you can't have one of these. Go back to the dumb phone, right. which, which, isn't, which isn't the right way to do it. And it's more, you know, how do you educate? And that's, that's what we look at it for is educational end versus the fear because, you know, fear is easy to do. You know, and, and then we're, we're not a government. That's not our job to make people scared. Right. And I guess, I mean, obviously, how old are your kids again? Um, I've got, you know, it's usually going to be so seven and nine are going to be seven the edge, edge of the kid so it's yeah so we're similar then because it's actually i find that my friends have got teenage kids the some of the stories they tell about trying to get them to do something or keep them safe online for example is very different from the conversations we were having with our kids and i guess with you and with your kids because different ages is that something that uh kaspersky could help parents with is, you know based yeah. on different ages this is what mm-hmm. you should be doing and looking out for etc yeah, we've got it over on our blog at kaspersky.com slash blog. There's a number of articles out there. Plus, we do also offer a product called Safe Kids, okay. which it's something if it's a parental control for devices. So if you install it on a kid's Android device or you know tablet, you can actually start to see what stuff people are doing with parental controls. And because of this whole COVID quarantine stuff, like one of the things I've really liked about lately is we had to go buy the kids Chromebooks. 
because mm. that's where the school does their, their stuff on. And what I found really cool was some of the parental filters that are built in when you tie them to a parent account that like, for example, you can stop the kids from visiting certain sites. And that's, that's what we found out is important. But I think the, the one part, and this is going to sound silly, is you almost go back to the approach of, you know, what our grandparents had. You've got to be open with the kids and talking to them, but also nothing's done in a private room. So right. like I remember growing up, the telephone was only on the wall in the kitchen and that's where you had to talk on the phone. And the same thing holds true now with our kids, like the computers have to be used within our site so that we can actually make sure they're not doing anything because, you know, even a YouTube kids, you know, my son was watching something on there the other day and some twisted person passed by Google's filter by turning like they had a Nerf gun battle, but turned it almost into looking like bullets in the after effects. Ah, right. So it's like this and it's got like it was really bad. And I was like, this is what shows up. Or if they watch YouTube on the television, not everybody's got smart TVs. You can't opt out of the ads. And like, sometimes kids are watching shows or like whatever songs they're looking for. One of the commercials is for a damn horror movie. No, for sure. And like I say, I, I know that it can't be easy. You know, I've been these big, huge social corporations trying to get the right, you know, the right line, but I think they still could improve a lot of their algorithm into making sure stuff like that doesn't pop up. Yeah, and I think it's I think they're doing a number of steps to get in that direction. Are they there yet? No. And I think the problem comes down is how much staff can you allocate to this? Because you need people to actually do a filter. Machine learning is great, but when it comes down to certain content, the only way that you can check it is with a human eye. And nobody really wants that job. That's a crap job. I I would never want that job. No, I, I would uh, just like the stress and uh, like the PTSD that must come from some of the stuff that you you're watching. There's there's a really good article about that. I forget if I forget what publication it was in, but they talked to the content editor. They might have been the Washington Post or Motherboard had a story where they talked to the content editors at both Facebook and Google, and they said all of them had a case of PTSD by the end of like the first month. Wow, yeah, that just showed you some of the stuff that they must go, <laughs> they must be you know, have to look through. Well, I think some of them too got hired. Like some of them were for Arabic speaking countries. So immediately it goes towards like, they're here filtering terror groups based on this area. And that's not something that you really can look through, you know? So having um, a security podcast, um, has there been any topics that you've discussed? Could you hear about show 130, 140 at the moment, if I recall? Yeah, I think it's something like that, like 130, yeah. 132, something like that. So has there been any topics that have surprised you and Dave the most, either through naivety of people that were, you know, scammed or businesses that just had the most basic one-on-one security issue anything like that that's over the the last you know 100 plus shows so there's a few of them that really stood out to us you know i'm thinking about it you know perhaps the one that that gets us the most and i always feel bad whenever we do it but we rip on facebook so much (laughs) they're they're an easy target but a lot of the things that they do you know and just that people still trust them like the amount of trust that people have in, in Facebook itself is quite terrifying, especially when you know how their business model is made, um, especially with selling the targeted ads. So that's one spot that, that always gets me. But another one actually goes out to how careless people are. You know, for example, I think this was one or two years ago, and somebody in the British government lost a USB stick on the Metro that had the Queens route to Heathrow airport, but also like the security setup of when the Royal family goes through Heathrow. 
Oh, wow. Of what the protocols were. So when you think about that, it's just like, how do you, how do you do that? And I think if you, if you look down and you look at like people like go pick up USBs and plug them in when they find them, that's the other thing that scares me because that's one of those things that nobody thinks about, but there's a lot of malicious things that people have put onto USB ports and could really screw up somebody's computer just by plugging it in. And like you say, no, but I guess it's the curious factor. Oh, what's on this? And you want to check it out, right? But like you say, as soon as you open it and click one of these files or something, that's it, you're hooked. Oh, you don't even have to put it on a file. Like oh, there really? is, so, so one of the things that I, this re, a researcher from Google had done research a few years ago at the, at the hacker conference, Black Hat, that I'd went to, and he had a report. They worked to a college or a university and had a bunch of these USB sticks and they dropped them around campus to see how many people would pick them up. And it was over 40% of the USBs that were picked up were installed into a computer. And what they did was when it goes in, it loads a file that would report back to where the, where the computer was. Like it was a non-malicious area, but it still was something that you're telling that if I, if I went and re- reached down, you're going to plug this in. Maybe it has something on it that it shouldn't. And that's how a lot of criminals will get into businesses. Like a lot of times they'll, they'll do a, USB drop to hopefully somebody in corporation X, Y, or Z will plug it into their computer and they get into the network. And I guess with so many smart um, applications at home now, you've got your smart refrigerator, for example, you've got obviously mm-hmm. your your Echo Dot and all that and Alexa. I guess that's a pretty easy way for hackers to gain access to your own personal security systems at home. Yeah, that's that's a very big one. The internet of things or the internet of shit, whatever you want to call it there. <laughs> any any little thing is a, is a way into them. The other problem is when everybody gets these devices built, they're hoping for a convenience part. So you don't, you get an, you know, Amazon wants you to buy Alexa because it helps you buy more stuff on Amazon. You want an Amazon dot or Alexa in the house because you can play music whenever you want, get the weather whenever you want, or even a refrigerator connected to the internet. I don't know why you'd need that, but I'll, I'll go with it. But a lot of times these devices have the same username and password that are default on them. Right. So if you don't change it, there there's a whole bunch of sites like um, Shodan or Synsys, which are websites you can go to and, and scan for devices that are hooked up to the internet. And a lot of times people get into them. I think, you know, you probably have seen many of the stories about how a parent ha- had this Wi-Fi enabled baby monitor, but now somebody's talking through it. It's because somebody finds the address of the device and it's usually admin password or password password, and boom, they're into the device and can control it from somewhere else. That's scary. Yeah, that's uh, yes, the the sort of <laughs> you know the convenience of smart homes is is awesome. But then you've got the flip side, obviously. I don't have any of those things in my house. Well, I guess working at Kaspersky, you you you, you know you you pretty much learn, right? But I, I think when when you look at it, like even on the router, like if if you think about it, how many people change the passwords on their router? Right. Yep. That's kind of the default one that's already set up. And it's and it's printed on the back of it, which makes it even worse. But yeah. I think when you look at it, like those are all the things that like working here, like hell, I came from a printing card company before this at Vistaprint. And now I'm here doing security and I'm like, wow, this is kind of sketchy stuff. <laughs> well, especially if it was a smart printer, like do some 3D printing or whatever. Well, you know, there was that whole, well, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. But then the other one with that, the, the, the printers was like the PewDiePie thing from a few years ago. Like when they were, he was having the battle of who was the top YouTube star with some Indian guy and his fans went and found connected printers and were printing out letters to subscribe to PewDiePie. That's scary. Too much so, time on the hands. Oh, way too much time. Up. 
So, so on that note then, um, what I mean, obviously there's a whole bunch of advice on the podcast uh, and I'll drop all the links to the shows mm-hmm. and the blog, et cetera, in the show notes. But um, what piece of advice would you give uh, to either an, inv- uh, an individual consumer or a, a small business owner that may not have the, the funds to get huge, you know, corporate firewalls, et cetera? What piece of advice would you give them on making themselves as secure as possible online? Well, I think there's a few things. One of them is getting a, a security you know, any any type of business or any type of home needs a security solution on their computers. There's a number of free ones out there. You know, if you use Microsoft devices, Defender is actually a, a you know a serviceable option. But one of the things to think about too is whenever you make a network, whether it's at home or at your office, is make a variety of them. So at my home right now, I've got my home network, um, which is the cable connected to it and things like that. My guest network, which anybody coming to the house can connect to if they get the password from me. And then I've got my work network, which is completely separate. So I have, you know, can't see it in my office, but there's another router sitting in my office that's for mine. But I don't let anybody else onto those ones. And also make sure, like the basic thing is make sure you're changing all of the passwords. Because the basic passwords are where people are, you know, going to get in trouble. You know, if you're using devices, you know, look at having different passwords for every site. A password manager is a great way to remember those instead of using Danny is cute one, two, three, four for every site or your <laughs> or your children's names and birthdays. Th- those are all things that are easy to guess. Um, another area, too, is to subscribe to a service called Have I Been Pawned. Um, it's Have I Been Pawned.com. And pretty much um, this guy, Troy Hunt, runs a site that anytime your email address is accessed in a data breach, it'll email you about it. So you know what information is extra out there to be careful in terms of phishing emails or looking into if you need to change your passwords. And then if you're looking at like an extra layer of security on things, you know, there's security keys. Right now there's like little key key fobs that you put on your computer and they're called FIDO keys, which allow you to log in just from plugging a, a key into your computer. And those are just an extra level of security that you can have on accounts. It's a two factor authentication. And I think, you know, one of the things that also helps, too, is making sure you update your software and antivirus programs quite regularly because, you know, let's face it, there's not, you know, we've become ever dependent on tech. So all of these things, you know, while you like to say software is perfect when it comes out, it's not. There's always a new version or an update. And it's really something to to update, you know, as you go along. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Now, flipping it over a little bit now. Mm Mm-hmm. For people that, that may or may not know you, um, what is something that not a lot of people know about you but it might surprise them? So this is a really funny one, and I, I shared this at a, at a at an off-site meeting while we were still allowed to do off-site meetings. Um, I probably travel about 16 to 20 times a year, usually international. One of the things that I despise the most in the world is flying. Right. So I, I hate I hate traveling on airplanes, and it's kind of ironic knowing that you know, 16 to 20 times a year, I'm flying internationally. My short, my shortest trip last year, um, since this year is all out the window, was to, so last year was to Florida on a family vacation. The second shortest was Las Vegas. Actually, no, the second shortest flight I took last year was to the UK. So to London was the second shortest. Longest was to Singapore. Oh, wow. Um, so that's almost a full day there. Oh, it's more than a full day. <laughs> yeah, fun times. So and, and do you have to take anything then? You say you don't like flying. Do you have to take anything or do you just work alcohol. through it? Alcohol. <laughs> All right. Always the good stuff. 
Um, I, I take that one, but then like to avoid jet lag, I I've become like the human guinea pig for sleeping pills to catch up on jet lag. So I take melatonin and like this um, the Nyquil stuff, the Z's or whatever it is. I mix those two things, and it puts me out to sleep to catch up with the the areas. But on planes, I don't like to be. I'd rather be have too many booze in me than have a pills because I've tried some pills on the plane, and if you get woken up, you have a really bad flight. I'd prefer to just have alcohol to to kind of deal with those because I know how to deal with myself being drunk. <laughs> I like losing a, a dinner bet, for example. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, so Jeff, like I say, I appreciate you coming on today, and I'm sure like the the stuff you've been sharing is really going to help a lot of people. I know I'll be you know rechecking my my router password, my home security. <laughs> I never thought actually about setting up a guest uh, Wi-Fi account for people, you know, family all over or whatever. Then you can also stop people from. So if all of your devices are t- like, let's say your PlayStation or Xbox, your Chromecast, your your cable, all that stuff is hooked into the home network and yours and your wife's stuff is set into there, that's for you guys to be on. But on the guest network, nobody can truthfully jump onto another area. Plus, when you've got the guest network set up, you can actually determine what people are online and what they're doing at your house. So like, let's say you have Sam over the house, and he starts looking at at weird websites. (laughs) You can look back to the device level to see his, like, you know, looking at scotch, where if for some reason Ginny ever wants to come up from Chicago, you'll be able to see her looking at like all of her MAGA stuff that she loves. (laughs) She's going to love that shout out later. (laughs) I know she will. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, Jeff. So so if people want to learn more, um, either by listening to the podcast, reading the security blog, Mm -hmm. or just, you know, hanging out with you, where's the best uh, place to find you online? I think the best place to get in touch with me online is Twitter. It's at Jeff Espo, and I'll happily talk to anybody on there. Yeah, usually most people. Most. Most <laughs> times. The ones that you block and filter. Okay, and like <laughs> I say, I'll, I'll make sure that I drop the uh, the links to the, the podcast and the blog down in the show notes. All right, brother. Thank All you right. for having me. No worries. I appreciate you being on. All right, guys. So this has been another episode of Podcaster Stories. If you enjoyed this week's show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode when it comes out. And you can either find out on your favorite podcast app or podcasterstories.com. Until the next time, take care and we'll speak soon. You've been listening to Podcaster Stories. If you enjoyed this week's show, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes to help others find the show too. And we'll see you the next time on Podcaster Stories.